0: Welcome to How We Win.
1: All over the country, people are doing extraordinary things, and action is the best antidote for anxiety.
0: Today, we talk about breaking news from the inquiry into January 6th, the latest on the John Lewis voting protection bill, and a big step from the Biden administration in the fight against COVID.
1: And Steve talks to actor, activist provocateur, and one of the many stars of the Netflix disaster satire, Don't Look Up, Ron Perlman. He's got a lot to say about the state of our democracy and uh, he doesn't mince words.
0: No, he's saucy. All of that. Plus (laughs) our reasons for hope. I'm Steve Pearson.
1: And I'm Mariah Craven. And And this
0: this is how How we win. Win.
1: Oh man. I can't wait to hear this interview.
0: Ron Perlman is such an interesting guy, and uh, of course, people know him as Hellboy, and they know him from mm-hmm. Sons of Anarchy, and he plays a lot of tough parts, and um, and he is uh, what some people would call a straight shooter. He doesn't mince his words. Um, we'll put the explicit tag on this one. Uh, this a lot one's
1: of, not for the children.
0: A lot of frank talk from Mr. Perlman, but, uh, but he's really great. He's got over a million Twitter followers, and... Uh, a lot of those people are you know, like pretty conservative who, you know, uh, follow him because of his roles on shows like Sons of Anarchy. And um, he is not shy about sharing his opinions. And of course, I know you saw Don't Look Up. It's, uh, it's freaking out the progressive circles because it's, it is a fictional movie, but it's totally not a fictional movie. I mean, it's, it's such biting, truthful satire. Um, it's cool to be able to talk to him about that.
1: That's awesome. Yeah, he's definitely um, um one of uh, one of the characters in a cast full of them if you haven't seen that movie. And I'm so glad that he's you know using his platform to speak up because there is a lot to speak out about and uh a, there's a lot of, of truth speaking that's got to happen nowadays and listen, our our top stories of the week are just proof that If we don't speak up and speak out, the truth is going to get covered up. And that's not right. It's dangerous.
0: It's very dangerous. It's a dangerous time right now. So let's get right into it. The first one is the House committee investigating the events of January 6th have subpoenaed a group of Trump supporting lawyers, including wait for it, wait for it. You all know. You've heard this already. Rudy Giuliani is being (laughs) subpoenaed by the House committee and the entire legal team that pursued a set of conspiracy-filled lawsuits on behalf of the former guide. So Mr. Giuliani has been subpoenaed. Uh, Jenna Ellis, who helped draft the memo on how Trump could overturn the election by exploiting an obscure law. Sidney Powell, who um, raised millions of dollars based on false claims of election machine rigging. Uh, Boris Epstein, who pursued allegations of election fraud in Nevada and Arizona and participated in a call with Mr. Trump on the morning of January 6th. Um, so, uh, yeah, th- these are this is all all the people.
1: They and should Rudy. all be all should be disbarred. Um, I mean like uh, the that that post-election uh, press conference that that Giuliani did was it, you know probably the most embarrassing moment of his of his professional life Um and he's had a lot of personally embarrassing moments as well, but we won't get into that. But remind I think me a, was this
0: was this the hair color sweat face or was this the Four Seasons total landscaping? Because I'm getting I them confused.
1: Be- I believe that the, that the, those were happening at the same time. <laughs> I, I think that his makeup. No, those were separate. Those were
0: separate. Four, were they? The, Maybe I'm wrong. Two two different events. Well, listen, um,
1: it, this is a great reminder um, that on January 6th, uh, Giuliani spoke to a crowd of Trump supporters um, outside the Capitol and called for "quote trial by combat." Mm-hmm. Like, come on, come on! And then, as the building was under siege, um, he was still calling lawmakers, trying to to delay the certification um, of of Biden's victory. Um, so, man, a subpoena should be just the tip of the iceberg of what happens to these folks.
0: Well, it's encouraging to see these subpoenas going out and to see these characters, um, you know, being called to this committee. Um, we will see, as <laughs> it's always questionable about how they're going to respond, um, and uh, and the Justice Department is being, I'll say, methodical about it, which is less than satisfying when we want to see immediate action on these subpoenas. But it's all happening. Um, Again, this uh, this is uh, encouraging to see uh, these people being brought to account, and I, and you know we talked briefly about this last week. I they were talking about having some prime time coverage of mm-hmm, the right. of the hearings. Should Rudy in prime time. I mean, that's must see TV. I think
1: that would be incredible. I mean, I feel like they're all gonna. He's gonna wriggle his way. He's gonna lawyer his way out of of saying anything or anything substantive, but I mean, it would be great to see him sweat and have his makeup run again. (laughs) Um, uh, And listen, we've all had makeup issues. I'm not shaming him for wearing makeup, but you know, you know, if you, if you look like a sweaty fool, I'm going to call you out on it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, The other big news of today is that the Senate or the, the day right now is that the Senate began debating on the freedom to vote John R. Lewis Act. Um, As we discussed last week, um, we saw this coming 60 votes required to end debate on this. We're not going to get 60 60 votes on that. So, got to get rid of the
0: filibuster to to do that.
1: Yeah. And uh, who do we need to do that?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we were talking about Mansion. You know, we were giving him a lot of airtime last week and boom, you were out so the gate. positive about him. <laughs> no, I was not. I was not. I was just saying it wasn't over. I just wasn't, like, <laughs> defeatist about it. And then boom, out the gate comes Kristen Sinema uh, with this just unbelievable floor speech. So misguided and uh, infuriating. Um, so... Uh, the The plan was to try to have a vote on or before martin luther King's uh, birthday on Monday that obviously did not happen. Sinema's, uh speech put a lot of cold water on that and and then Schumer actually called the Senate into recess because of this storm that was coming, the you know inclement weather coming into d c and said that we'll pick it back up on Tuesday. I think that was also a convenient opportunity to regroup and reassess and try to figure out how they're going to approach it. So currently, um, this is what we're watching right now on the Senate floor all week long. They're going to bring it to a vote and then they're going to bring some kind of filibuster reform to the floor for a vote based on a recent tweet from Schumer. Uh, talking about how uh, senators shouldn't be able to uh, call for a filibuster from their office, they should have to come to the floor uh, and, and make a speech. It sounds like that's where they're hedging. It sounds like maybe that's the ground that they're hoping Cinema and Mansion will at least see to make it more difficult for senators to call for a filibuster instead of just right now they can just send an email. You know, if they want to filibuster. Right. right. You know, yeah. They don't it's there's no Mr. Smith goes to Washington. Just email, filibuster, it's over with. So that's my guess right now of, of where he's going. We're gonna find out um, this week and into next week um, where it's gonna shake out. It it is looking it is looking rough, but, um, you know, if we've learned anything from this weekend and the protests and the amazing leadership of uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s family, who has really taken center stage, as they should, on his birthday, mm-hmm. it's that this fight goes on. No matter how uh, tough it is, no matter how disheartening it is, uh, we have no choice but to work and to move forward, and that's what we're going to continue to do.
1: Yeah, Um I mean, I have some stuff to say about the filibuster, but we'll, we're will we going to save that for another episode.
0: Say it. No, say it. Uh, what, what do I you gotta, have to I say?
1: Gotta, I, have, I have a whole rant. I, I got to gather. It's got to do with like Democrats needing to do difficult things because they're the right thing to do. Um, that goes for the filibuster. It goes for gerrymandering. Um, We have a tendency to, you know, let these things go because we think that we can use them to our advantage because we're on the right side of things. Um, But that means that the other side also always has access to them. And that's really problematic. And so I do have worries that there's not going to be filibuster reform because some Democrats... Um, believe that maybe they might be in the minority in the Senate sometime soon and they might want to use the filibuster. And the last time that Democrats made a major change to it, Republicans ended up really uh, stepping up next time around and using that to their advantage when it came to getting people on the Supreme Court. So anyway, um, I think that Democrats are a little bit afraid of filibuster reform um, and I wish they weren't. All the things they say about it being wrong and having Jim Crow roots are true. So let's and and I know it's not as easy as, you know, everybody's not going to get on board, but you got to you got to call for big change and not this incremental BS rant over.
0: Thank you for that rant. I could not agree more. And uh, for the Democrats who um, are saying we need to preserve the rule or even are hedging because they're afraid they may lose the majority and need it, Mitch McConnell's going to frickin' change yeah. the filibuster no matter what. Like, it doesn't yeah. matter. Like, like if, if Mitch McConnell needs to change the filibuster to pass what he wants— which he We're already did by right. changing it for Supreme Court nominees. Exactly. exactly. So it's, it's not like, uh, well, we better not do this or the Republicans are going to use it against us. They're going to use it against us. Yeah. So yeah. I agree be bold, Democrats, be bold. This is the time, you know, and for, you know, of course, we don't like to just rant. We like to talk about what you can do about it. And right now, uh, if you're sick of hearing us say, call your senators, uh, sorry, uh, this is the time we really need to keep pressure on everyone and, uh, and make sure that, uh, we do everything we can, uh, in this moment. So, uh, since we're talking about voting rights and uh, and that is what is uh, we are all championing and uh, and focused on this week and every week. Let's talk about our hero of the week.
1: I just love your choice for hero of the week. I'm getting I'm, if you talk about it. and Just give me goosebumps. Go ahead.
0: Well, um, I mentioned the amazing leadership of Martin Luther King Jr.'s family, mm-hmm. and uh, and we know many of them who are uh, are have really stepped up and continue the fight for civil rights and, and for racial justice. Um, but our hero of the week this week goes to MLK's 13-year-old granddaughter, Yolanda Renee King, uh, who... Uh, in a beautiful and stirring speech mm-hmm. on her grandfather's birthday called on mansion and cinema to pass voting rights let's hear from her today my message to you is simple do not celebrate legislate the senate must do the right thing when this legislation comes to a vote tomorrow senator cinema senator mansion our future hinges on your decision, and history will remember what choice you make.
1: Wow, um, that's so brave and so powerful. And oh gosh, I hope they were listening.
0: I hope so too. I hope so too. Um, certainly, uh, history is listening, and history will, will remember what they did this week. Absolutely. Uh speaking of what to do this week, let's talk about this week's to-do list.
1: Yeah, we touched on this last week. We promised that we would do a deeper dive into um the Michelle Obama creation. Happy birthday, uh former first lady Michelle Obama, by the way. This is a perfect week to run this. Um all whenweallvote.org, that's the site. When We All Vote is the organization leading national nonpartisan initiatives on a mission to change the culture around voting and to increase participation in every election by helping to close the race and age gap. Um, We talked last week about the goal for When We All Vote
0: was to register. One million.
1: That's right, one million new voters. One
0: million voters.
1: And they were going to recruit a hundred thousand volunteers to do that. So, if you are looking for a volunteer activity, Michelle Obama has got something for you to do.
0: They made a huge impact, of course, in twenty twenty, and um, and like I love throwing that she threw down the gauntlet. So we're going to register a million new voters. Can't think of a better time to, to do that right now and really lean into that. So um, yes, when we all we'll have that link in our show notes and go there and, and sign up and, and see how you can contribute.
1: I'm gonna I'm gonna sign up uh, this evening, right after right after we finish this. Um, but before we do that, before I do that, we've got your interview with Ron Perlman, and then we've got our reasons for hope which are pretty important this week.
0: Actor Ron Perlman needs no introduction, of course, as his career spans four decades and includes Beauty and the Beast, Hellboy, he's Hellboy, Sons of Anarchy, and currently Nightmare Alley and the absolutely not fiction, totally real documentary film Don't Look Up. Uh, if you're an activist on Twitter, then you know that Ron is not timid about using his platform of over a million followers to speak the truth and help in our fight for our democracy. Ron, thank you for being here with me.
2: Thank you. What is the, uh, the, the Netflix and, and the Don't Look Up genius staff who not only made a great film, but marketed a great film. Yeah. Uh, what is it It's based on a story that might happen one day i mean it's just <laughs> yeah. um, it's a, it's a really cool turn of phrase um i can't i don't want to look it up because i want to give you my undivided attention but i'll uh, text it to you when i find it but it's it's part of the release um yeah. pr campaign that they did and it's really really it's exactly what it is which is when you watch don't look up you feel like you've lived it because you have and you are and you will continue to and that's the, the, some of the genius of what, how Adam McKay's finger is really on the pulse of the world in which we, 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 we struggle.
0: I want to get into, uh, don't look up and talk about the movie. Cause there's a lot to talk about there before we do that though. Um, like I said, you're really vocal politically. I'm just curious, have you always been that way? Have you always been really plugged into politics? When did you like first start getting involved and, and what compelled you into that kind of action?
2: I guess there's a kind of an activism that comes from being a lower middle class Jew from New York city, Mm. you know, you know, your parents are union people. Uh, they don't make a lot of money, but you know, the fact that they, uh, have an organization that at least keeps them in the job and protects some of their dignity and their rights, you know, that, that's kind of like part of the DNA that I remember, you know, growing up into. So I, there's always this kind of like struggle with those bastards, you know, those fucking bastards. I mean, I, I can say whatever I want on this podcast, but sure, I, I yeah. can curse. <laughs> <you> <laughs> I, did, I did and, book
0: uh, Ron uh, Perlman uh, yeah. on the show. So, you know. <laughs> you know,
2: yeah. And then, you know, you're growing you grow up in New York and it's Tammany Hall and this corruption he, left and right. And, and the, the, the good news about growing up in New York is that the corruption, it's like expected, you know, it's not, it's like, Oh my God, our elected officials are on the take or you know, they're in somebody's pocket. Oh my God. No, in New York, it's like, you know, the only thing that, that, um, is discussed with regard to the corruption that exists is the degree to which it's done and the artfulness of how it's pulled off. <laughs> and other than that, it's a given, you know, so, then if you're low middle class and you're not part of that society that receives or that knows how to take, mm. um, and that games, the system and that plays by no rules whatsoever in order to maintain leverage and power and wealth. Um, then you're always, you know, catch your fist in the air going those bastards, those fucking bastards. You know, I was my, I was from that family, you know? Mm-hmm. And so there was always, you know, you know, I'm not answering your question about politics, which I hope to maybe well, get it's, to.
0: It's tied in and but, activism. But it's yeah.
2: but it's there's an impulse about um, seeking justice, seeking a, a, a level playing field, seeking trying to live by a code of decency.
0: You're not uh, shy about. Expressing yeah. your views, thankfully, uh, we all shouldn't be. Um, but you know, you're, in your career as an actor, you play a lot of tough guy characters um, and have accumulated a lot of fans and followers from roles like you played on Sons of Anarchy. What What is their reaction to your Twitter feed?
2: <laughs> well, I, I actually revealed myself gradually yeah. and slowly because I opened – now, I was one of these guys that said, Twitter, that sounds so fucking, you know. But while we were doing the show, everybody was on Twitter, like all my castmates and, you know, a lot of the crew members that I really, really dug. And they, So I, I kind of got curious about it. And I joined. Mm-hmm. You know, I picked up a moniker for myself and I joined and I started tweeting about very general things, knowing that. Whatever following I was going to accumulate, at least initially, was going to be because I was on the show where I played a redneck, you know, uh, white yeah. supremacist biker. Right. Who, there was only one amendment for him, and that's the second one, you know. Right. I mean, you know, he was a gun guy and stuff, and, you know, um, so I, I knew that I, I I had to be very careful about what I revealed about him my own personal views and my own personal points of view and my own personal life, in fact. And so, little by little, I would just, like, you know, shoot a, a three-pointer from downtown, like, once every month and a half and stuff. And people would go, wait, what? What the <laughs> fuck did he just say? He sounds like a fucking Democrat. He sounds like a fucking snowflake. Right. But they would, like, go, but but last week he killed 75 people on the show, all had it coming. And so he's Okay. <laughs> and it was this combination of like garnering the trust of, of 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 the world that you know like thrived on vigilante justice and then throwing in my kind of lefty sympathies for the forgotten man, the little guy the guy that you know we all claim that we love and want to protect and want to do for mm-hmm. but he's 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 the last guy in the world anybody is worried about. And I, I don't really mean that. There's a lot of people that are worried about the little guy. And sure. you know, the reason why I'm a Democrat is because that's the party, that's the only party that actually has that as part of their you know, humanistic existential DNA, which is right. that, you know, there's at least an attempt to create legislation where there's a, a playing field, where everybody has the same criteria, everybody has the same rules. Yeah. And there are opportunities that the Democrats have championed over the years for equality and for um, being able to retire with dignity, Social Security. You know these things that dirty words, these entitlements. You know, which is why I'm a Democrat is because say what you will about where they're at on any particular day with it, with regard to any particular um, issues, but there's always this impulse to worry about the little guy.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, if you say you ramped up your Twitter posts, uh, they're definitely firing on all cylinders now. And I said this to you before, I really, really appreciate it. You know, um, a lot of actors are very protective over their brand, and it takes a certain extra step of courage of your convictions to be out there, um, I, I feel like right now is the time for that, that everyone needs to make their voices heard. But uh, especially when you have such a large platform, I'm just grateful to you and people like you who choose to use it in that way and, um, and speak the truth. So I really appreciate that. You, you, you also managed to get into a Twitter feud with Ted Cruz, which maybe I appreciate more than anything else. <laughs> how, did, how did that happen?
2: Well, he got into a Twitter feud with me. I didn't get which is so
0: stupid. Like, like, like Ted Cruz has done some dumb shit, but getting in a Twitter feud with Ron Perlman is up there,
2: I think. I mean, you know, I I I feel the the, the feud started with uh, a bunch of exchanges between myself and Matt Gates, who is now being investigated for you know uh, child pornography and and trafficking minors, and said you know, which is, which is probably some of the least of his offenses against humanity. But anyway, um, I made some sort of statement about the U S soccer federation or something like that. And out of the blue, um, Matt Gates engaged with me saying, you know, calling into question my, um, judgment Mm -hmm. about, you know, uh, the Donald Trumps of this world. So, I said, "Wow, <laughs> Matt Gates follows me. That's <laughs> fucking. That's fucking cool." And I woke up. It was I think I, I know it was a Saturday morning. I woke up. I saw that I saw his his attack on me at around a quarter to nine in the morning, and I responded. And then his, you know, he he did the typical thing where he says. Yeah, well, you talk a good game, but, you know, you play assholes on TV and you make a living about, you know, a, a, with firing off guns and shit like that. So fuck you. Mm. And I go, yes, it's true, Matt. Um, it's very rewarding to play an asshole on TV. But let me ask you, what is it like to actually be one? <laughs> and that was the beginning of right. my, the best Saturday of my life. because <laughs> he, kept coming, he kept coming for more. And we did this all the way until around 6.30 at night when I sent the last one saying, look, man, I said, I quoted a line from uh, Paul Newman and Mausler and I said, I beat you all fucking day. I'm going to beat you all fucking night. It's getting boring. Good night, <laughs> Matt. You know? And um, closed it down, went and had dinner. Got in bed around 8.30, quarter to nine. And I'm um, pff- up my Twitter feet. And Ted Cruz decides <laughs> to like say, no, 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 you're not done yet, pal. And invites me to a wrestling match between me and Jim Jordan. <laughs> he doesn't even he doesn't even invite me to a wrestling match between me and him. He's volunteering some other guy. <laughs> and um I had a, I had a, I had like, I, you know, I engaged with Ted for about 12 hours back and forth and it was the same thing. It was like, you guys, I'm punishing you. I mean, clearly, and you keep coming back for more. It, it's, the, the really pathetic thing is that you don't care what kind of attention you get. They as just want attention. Can, attention. Yeah, yeah. You're being made to look like a fucking idiot. You know, like, complete joke of a man you have absolutely no wit or wisdom to anything you're saying and you're being like pummeled yeah and you keep coming back for more and that that to me was the most revealing part of it with both Matt Gates and Ted Cruz because they're two guys that absolutely have no moral compass whatsoever they only have sensationalism yeah they only have the ability to like stir shit up to divine them and and that's dangerous because they represent Huge swaths of the American public, their congressmen and senators, and um, they should be doing something more with their time than finding sick, twisted ways to get attention from, uh, you know, a, a, a B-level celebrity. <laughs>
0: Well, that's really fascinating. Yeah. And it's true. They don't care where the attention and engagement comes from. And it's a, it's a lesson, like uh, all jokes aside, we talk about it a lot on our show about how to engage, especially online and, uh, what it does to amplify or try to refute negativity. A lot of times these guys don't care. Like the, the, you know, if you're refuting it, you're actually just making it bigger. You're giving it more engagement. Um, and uh, and that's what they're looking for. They're just looking for engagement. They don't they don't care what it looks like to them. So that's that's and that, and, that, and,
2: and, and you know there there's the seventy two million people who will vote for a, a felon because he speaks to their grievances about how shitty their lives are yeah. and gives their you know their 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 mediocrity a vo- a voice even though he's not giving that mediocrity a voice because he he gives a gives. He'd give a fuck about any of those. He
0: doesn't give him anything. All he
2: wants is for them to. Each of you sends me twenty dollars. Right. Twenty-two million times twenty. Man, now I love you.
0: Yeah.
2: So they're fundraising off grievances, and they're yeah. and and they're the only way you can fundraise off a, a grievance is by fanning the flames of grievance. Yeah. And 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 it doesn't matter if anything you say is true, as long as you're riling up your base. That is the playbook.
0: Yeah, for sure.
2: And making them into haters, which, you know, they need some place to place their frustration that their lives didn't go really well.
0: Um, Rile up grievance and then point to them. They're, they're the reason for your grievance. Point to other people to, you know, That's um, that's the fascist playbook. That's how the top people stay in power. All right. Well, I want to talk about Don't Look Up because it's just an incredibly great movie. Everyone in progressive circles is freaking out over it. It's streaming on Netflix right now. It's been a huge hit, even though some critics have been critical of it. I mean, if anyone thinks that this movie is over the top or exaggerating, then you just aren't paying attention. (laughs) Um, How did you get involved in the film? I mean, the whole cast is incredible. What, What brought you into this
2: film? I just got a call from Adam McKay, you know. Well, actually, I I was told Adam McKay wants you to read the script, and then he wants to to set up a conversation with you. And I never met him, or, you know, I mean, I had no idea whether he knew I existed or not, but Hmm. this was out of the blue. Out of the blue. And then I read the script. It had all of the earmarks of Dr. Strange Love, but in in a completely different set of circumstances, but a true satire juxtaposing absurdity against the most dangerous situation you could possibly imagine putting the world in. And um, we got on the phone and, you know, he just said, you know, i just like, I wrote this character and, uh, you know, I'm hoping you like it. I'd like for you to play him. And that was the beginning, as they say, in Casablanca of a beautiful friendship. It's you know, mm. like, wow. I mean, it's the greatest Company of actors I've ever been a part of. It's the preeminent satirist who's making films on the planet right now, Adam McKay. Yeah, it was. It was going to be a tricky thing to do. That was my biggest fear about making this particular movie because he was going to try to thread a needle. That was a very difficult thing to do without seeming dismissible. About juxtaposing um, real dangers against all of our social distractions, our Twitter feed, our social our social media, our Instagrams, our TikTok, or this or that,
0: mm-hmm.
2: whereby that is far more important to the quality of our day than worrying about the fact that. In a month and a half, there will be no Earth, because that's just too abstract. You can't, you can't tell me there's not going to be any more Earth. Get the fuck out of here! I got to get back to my phone. And to make uh, a film that, where that is the objective, was going to be really, really tricky, because it's just fraught in my mind with. Um, ways to like what the critics are doing like the critics are are savaging don't look up why I don't know but they're finding reasons for it to be dismissible they're finding reasons for it to be unimportant they're finding reasons for it to be obvious whatever whatever it is that's you know wagging that dog that's what's happened whereas the entire rest of the world who's not paid critic who's not fighting for his life because the internet is killing his business. Mm. Um, so he has to be sensational and he has to say no to everything. The entire rest of the world is going, holy fuck, it's about time. Yeah, And that's because Adam managed to, when it was time for the movie to be satirical, which is the first, probably 80% of it, it was killer satirical. Yeah. I mean, he sent up, all of our hypocrisy and all of our distractions and all of the things that we've come to feel are things that give us our identities and our our entertainment and our reasons to live. And then when it was time for him to devastate us with the fact that this is what happens when you take your eye off the ball and you don't act in the face of what you know In your heart of hearts is the only truth there is, then he devastates you in the last 20% of the movie. Yeah. Which is so moving and so simple and so human. And you know, there's no tricks to it at all. So I just gave a dissertation about, you know, a question you never asked me.
0: (laughs) No, that's what um, I that's what I was asking and 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 you're absolutely right the movie you know we laughed all the way through it and then had nightmares about it you know when we went to sleep and it just stays with you uh it covers so much it's definitely about climate science right um and uh climate change and uh neil degrasse tyson you probably saw this tweeted Finally saw the Netflix film, Don't Look Up, a fictitional tale of a nation distracted by pop culture and divided on whether to heed dire warnings of scientists. Everything I know about news cycles, talk shows, social media, and politics tells me the film was instead a documentary. It hit home for so many people. And, um, you know, we started (laughs) to talk earlier, but I want to hear your take about Adam McKay because he's really evolved in a filmmaker uh, and it's already given us some incredibly poignant political satires. This is the first time you worked with him, but you've watched him probably from Anchorman and his work at Funny or Die to now, as you said, being the preeminent political satirist of our time. It's pretty uh, amazing development for a director and writer.
2: And I I, I really am cautious in using a, a phrase like the preeminent whatever but the only reason i say that is because of how effectively he pulls it off because he understands first of all the gravity of the situation that he is trying to um share with the world but secondly that it's an entertainment it's a movie and it, it has to um answer the precepts of what you want when you go see a movie—it has to be entertaining, it has to be fanciful, it has to be full of great performances and you know, and absurd situations.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And he's just so good at that. I mean, the the the, the talk show stuff, the Daily riff with, <laughs> with with with, with uh, uh, Cate Blanchett and um,
0: Tyler Perry. Um,
2: Tyler Perry, yeah, it's. It's, it's flawless yeah and then you put the two scientists on there and you know one of them is this handsome kind of you know matinee idol and the other one is this screaming henna dyed hair you know with a nose ring <laughs> saying the, the, the world's on fire and one of them is okay because he's he's got this outer shell that's acceptable and right. the other one who's who's t- giving you just nothing but pure truth. Is completely unacceptable because she's shrill. Right. Right there, he encapsulates what he needed to do as a filmmaker in order to walk that tightrope between, I'm going to give you a, a, a spoonful of medicine right here, but you're not going to know it's medicine right. until you go home. You're not going to know it's medicine. And, and when I first saw, I've seen uh, the movie twice now, the first time I saw it. All I was saying to the people I was with was, finally, a movie which doesn't end when it ends. It's only the beginning. This movie is going to be talked about for months and months and maybe years. And Neil deGrasse Tyson is one of many climate scientists and actual PhDs who are jumping up uh, for joy that somebody made this film. Right. Which, if you get into this business, you know, your greatest hope is that you you do something that resonates with everybody. Something that everybody wants to talk about. Like, you know, something that blows people's minds or changes people's minds or gets people, at least, to figure out what's in their mind to begin. hmm And so um, I'm overjoyed to say I finally was in one like that. Yeah.
0: It was huge, and yeah, what what a great project to be in on so many levels. And and you're right; it, it really hits so hard that I I, I can't but think that um, people who are really being critical or dismissive of it. Are just not able to look honestly at the society that we live in and 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 be open to that message because I love the way you put it. You're getting a, a spoonful of medicine and you don't realize it at the time, but it that movie has stuck with me. I saw it twice too, and um, and you're awesome and hilarious in it too playing essentially one of the guys that you uh yell at at twitter all the time so uh,
2: <laughs> that's the fun of being an actor you know and that's that was my message to matt gates yeah, like, yeah I, I i play assholes they're a lot of fun to play but you know i try not to be one right um not that i'm always successful at that either but well uh, we yeah. all do our best yeah you what anybody who's standing next to Matt Gates is gonna look like less of an asshole than he does. So
0: Well that's Pretty the only anything. that's the only uh argument I've ever heard to spend more time with Matt Gates, uh that makes sense yeah. to me. But
2: he's gonna make you look good. <laughs> I don't care if, you could be fucking Lucifer, man. He's gonna make you look good.
0: Well, look, I've taken up enough of your time. Uh I wanna ask you one more question that we always ask all of our guests, and um As we're recording this, it's January 6th, which is the anniversary of the failed violent coup attempt on our Capitol, and a time of reflection, a call to action to stay vigilant. What I want to ask you is, looking ahead at this next year, at the future, what gives you the most hope?
2: Joe Biden's speech today gave me so much hope Hmm. because he didn't pull one punch. And he he said things— that those among us who actually understand how fragile the democracy is and how close we are to losing it because of how large the numbers are of people who don't know the one from the other. You you just don't want people being politically correct right now. You want people to just call it like it is. And Joe Biden did that today. And if, if you haven't seen Joe Biden's january 6th speech about the defeated donald trump and what he did and who he is um that gives me hope because and and also that alongside what the committee is doing in terms of the nooses tightening around yeah not only everyone around trump but the fact that they were nothing compared to the man himself in terms of in terms of starting the lie and then putting all of the levers in place that led to this so, so, so ugly moment in our history, so sad and ugly a moment in our history. And you start to lose hope when you realize that guys like Kevin McCarthy and Mitch McConnell and all those scumbags on that side of the aisle who are trying to cover it up and say nothing to see here. You start to lose hope of the fact that, you know, maybe they're right. But these days, I'm starting to get encouraged that the Jamie Raskins, the Liz Cheney's, the Adam Kinzinger's,
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, everybody who's on that committee realizes if we don't take this motherfucker out now, after he committed the greatest crime against the United States of America, trying to form a violent coup. Right. To overthrow the only symbol that is truly democratic, which is free and fair elections. If we don't take this motherfucker, if we don't identify him as the sole source of that and then make him pay so that no one ever thinks about doing this shit again, ever, you know, you look at that and you just, that's when you start to get cynical, that's when you start to lose hope. But, in the last few weeks, I felt as though the tide might be turning. And the speech today by Biden himself, the sitting president of the United States, calling out his predecessor and calling him what he was and what he is, yeah which is a, a guy who cares about his own power right. more than the United States of America, more than the rule of law, more than the Constitution. That needed to be said. It seemed as though he was incapable of... of, 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 of taking a side like that but he Mm -hmm. he did it and it's not a side it's the side and it needed to be said it needs to be said by everyone i stopped tweeting i mean i stopped tweeting you know i'm you know you you follow me my output for tweeting has gone down you know 98 over the last you know six eight months because i was really starting to lose hope but then i started again over the last few days because i feel as though the noose is tightening Mm. And if you don't count yourself among the ones that believe in the America that's worth fighting and dying for now, then you don't deserve this democracy. So I'm back in the fight.
0: I love it. Love having you back in the fight, Ron. Uh, welcome back to Twitter. Uh, Twitter has missed you. Thank you, my friend, so much for spending some time in your beautiful new home to, to talk to me. And uh, thanks for being in this fight. I sincerely appreciate everything you do.
2: Cool. It's a pleasure talking to you, Steve.
0: So, Mariah, what is your reason for hope today?
1: Well, Steve, as we talked about earlier, uh, this week kicked off with Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Um, a day that is celebrated by live people, by acts of community service, mm-hmm. um, by acts of, um, you know, peaceful protest, calling on, uh, like we heard about earlier, calling on officials to do the right thing. And, of course, by companies and politicians um, posting random MLK quotes. Oh, yeah. Just somebody said with a lot of ellipses in the middle. Um,
2: (laughs) Many out of
1: context. Many had like a little bit of a cognitive dissonance to them. A little Um, bit. There were a lot of people this year who were publicly calling out these companies and elected officials and organizations that were um, talking the talk, but not walking the walk. And one of the people who did that uh, in a very impressive-sounding speech was Nicole Hannah Jones, who mm. is the creator of the 1619 Project. Um, she was invited to. She recounted this on Twitter. You should, you know, find. Her I Twitter, saw her
0: thread. Yeah, it, the it's whole thread. Amazing. We'll share so it from she, our from our web from our Twitter feed too.
1: I. I that's a fantastic idea. Um, she was invited um, to give a speech on MLK Day. Um, some people there publicly opposed her giving that speech, um, saying that it would have dis- it would dishonor Dr. King for her to give that speech. And so the first part of her speech, she didn't say she didn't introduce this at the beginning. The first part of her speech was all quotes from Dr. King, um, basically calling moderates um, to the carpet for not standing up strongly enough for um, freedom for all Black people in particular. Mm. And then halfway through the speech, people are getting outraged by her words. Halfway through the speech, she said, you know, these were Dr. King's own words. And then she launched into to her portion. So um, I think everybody remembers Dr. King as a peaceful person, um, who um, resisted oppression in all forms, but I think that people sometimes forget that he was a radical, that uh, at the time of his death um, in public polls, the majority of Americans strongly disliked him and what he had to say um, and when you talk we talked earlier about being on the wrong side of history a few decades later it's easy to look back and 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 see him for who he was um, but he wasn't he wasn't taken the way back then in the 60s that, that he was today so that's right yeah my reason for hope is uh is is uh truth truth telling across history
0: truth telling across history we need more of that and i mean it's so poignant so brilliant so i anyway, thank you for sharing that
1: uh what's your reason for hope this week
0: Uh, Mine is a simple one. Uh, We talked about it in the opening of our show, uh, a big, another big step in the Biden administration's fight against coronavirus here in our country. They have put a website up that went live a day early, where people can get home tests. Every household can get four free home tests. And uh, of course, that has been a big stumbling block um, Mm -hmm. for people's access to these tests. Um, Clearly this has touched all of our lives. Um, So we're going to put this link on our show notes page, too, if you haven't heard about this. Definitely go to covidtest.gov, covidtests.gov, and uh, order your free at-home COVID tests. Um, The the traffic for the... The beta launch, which was today as we're recording, they had more than 700,000 visitors on that homepage, which mm-hmm. is great. I'm glad people are taking advantage of this. But it gives me hope that um, that the government and Biden's administration is stepping up to do what we need to do here.
1: Yeah, um, I we, we have COVID in our home right now, and yeah. we've all been testing daily. And thank goodness we have Um uh, At home tests, they make a huge difference. Um, so, and and they are hard to find some days. So, uh, if you're having trouble tracking yours down, please, uh, so much peace of mind to, to get tested and know what's going on and, and what you need to do to protect yourself and others. Uh, COVID tests, the nest.gov.
0: <laughs> Yeah, I didn't want to out you and your family, but I hope you know sending we're all sending our love and making sure that everyone is recovering and getting healthier um is so hard to avoid avoid this, but it is avoidable and testing is going to be a big part of it. But anyway, sending sending our love to your family, Mariah.
1: Thank you, Steve.
0: Um Before we move on, uh, or before we end here, um, I just want to give a shout-out to another great podcast. And we're going to have these guys on our show um, in a few weeks. We're going to go on their show, and they're doing great, great things in progressive media and in the resistance community. I'm talking about the Midas Touch podcast. Three brothers – Ben, Brett and Jordy, who started a political movement fighting for democracy and released viral videos getting over 2 billion views. I know you've seen them Uh, host the twice a week Midas touch podcast. They're unapologetically pro democracy with no BS. Uh, The Midas touch podcast has top politicians and change makers as guests on their show. Uh, They delve into Deep into today's most important social and political issues that are largely ignored by the media. They do a really great job with that. And they deliver the news with sincerity, humor, and brotherly love. They're three brothers doing it. Aw. Yeah, I couldn't do it with my brother, because he's a Republican. Womp womp. See why the Midas Touch podcast on the Midas Media Network is one of the top news podcasts in America and in the world. Subscribe to Midas Touch Podcast. That is M-E-I-D-A-S-T-O-U-C-H, wherever podcasts are available. They're awesome. I
1: can't wait until we have them on this podcast.
0: Yes. They're, I can't wait to hear this story because they're one of my favorite stories. They're people who uh, just got together and did something not from a political background and it blew up and now they have a huge influence and following and they're and they're making a real impact on our democracy and so i love telling those stories can't wait to have them on
1: thank you for joining us today this is how we win we win when we all get involved so sign up
0: volunteer now when we all vote.org that's right Hey, we have a brand new website at HowWeWinPod.com and we want to hear from you. So send us an email at hello at HowWeWinPod.com or tweet to us at BluesBoySteve and at Mariah underscore Craven. Make sure that you
1: subscribe, rate, and review. The review is in italics, so that seems like it, it's a really important thing to <laughs> It you.
0: is. We, we <laughs> want you to review us on Apple.
1: Wherever you get your podcast. <laughs>
0: Yes, and we appreciate you being here with us. We'll be back with some more next Wednesday. Oh, I want to tease our guest so badly, but he is a sitting U.S. Senator, and sometimes their schedules change, so I better not tease it. But you won't want to miss next Wednesday's show. I hope you're
1: disappointed. See you then.